You're listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Stuart Pym, professor of conservation ecology at Duke University and founder and director of Saving Nature. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Welcome, Professor Stuart Pym, to One Planet and Future Cities podcast. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I should mention also your book, uh, The World According <laughs> to Pim. So I just wondering how it all began for you. You talked about being in Hawaii, but you were born in England. I mean, what were you like? Yeah. Were you a young, you were already focused on this when you were young. I was enormously fortunate. My parents loved to hike uh, and Derbyshire and Yorkshire is a beautiful part of Britain. My mum and dad met on a hike on a, a lovely little bridge across the River Derwent, which is where in time I scattered their ashes. So my earliest experiences were, were camping. We go camping whenever we could throughout the year, which meant camping in the wet and the cold, if need be. And, and so I was always encouraged to be interested in, in actual history. And, and so it, it grew out out of that. So I was looking at flowers, collecting fossils, watching birds, all those sorts of things from as young as I can remember. I became a conservation scientist before we have the name for it. And it came because I found myself working in Hawaii in the late 1970s and being a very enthusiastic bird watcher. I had a list of all the birds that I wanted to see so I could add them to my life list. And even though I was in the field for months on end, I realized that many of the species I expected to see were extremely rare at best. And it was quite clear that some of them had gone extinct or on the verge of doing so. And that for me was was a life-changing experience. I also saw endangered plants, plants that were down to the last one or two individuals in the wild. So I realized that extinction was very real, that we were losing Earth's biodiversity. And I felt that I had both a moral responsibility to do something about that, but also I had the scientific background that I felt that as a scientist, I could understand why species were going extinct and come up with ways So as cities grow and take away habitats for wildlife, there's a rise of zoos um, and wildlife centers trying to keep these animals from extinction by breeding and keeping them in enclosures. Do these programs help in the long run with extinction or is it better to protect high biodiverse areas and animals instead? Well, sort of yes and yes. Look, I mean, I'm enormously fortunate. In six weeks' time, I'll be in Africa. I expect to be watching lions. There may be lions sniffing around my tent at night, which is the kind of experience that keeps you awake the first time. So I'm very fortunate to see wildlife in the wild. But it's not something for everybody that many people don't have those experiences. So what does a zoo do? A zoo allows many, many people, allows our children to go and and experience the wonder of nature. And so whatever the rights and wrongs of keeping animals in captivity, it does afford people a chance to sort of see a lion, see an elephant and go, wow, it's an incredible experience. So I I do think that if I were given the choice, I would not abolish zoos. Now, can zoos help? Clearly they can. The the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., for example, has a captive breeding program of a gorgeous little monkey 
monkey called the golden lion tamarind that was almost completely wiped out. It was almost extinct. They bred those animals in captivity. They took them back to Brazil. They released them. When they did, the animals were really stupid. They were about as, you know, capable of looking after themselves in the wild as we would be if we were dumped into the wild. But eventually, enough of them learned to be smart and survive. And the golden lion tamarind numbers have increased substantially. Now, once that happens, we still have to worry about how we restore habitats and connect habitats. Uh, and that's something that my group at Saving Nature has been very energetic at doing in, in Brazil. We've helped create two very, very important wildlife corridors that, that allow these populations to be connected. So yes, I understand the need for zoos. I understand the very valuable work that a zoo like the National Zoo can perform to keep animals going in captivity until we can put them back. But, but the final solution has to be to allow animals to survive in the wild. Yes, there's also lots of controversy around trophy hunting, and some argue that it can help protect wildlife conservation due to the money that goes back into local communities to help them protect from poaching. Do you believe that trophy hunting can help with the protection of endangered animals in the wild? This is a very, very emotional issue. Many years ago, I was in Kafui National Park, an extraordinary, it's in Zambia, extraordinary place. First time I saw a lion kill, a pride of lions brought an antelope down 30 yards from my tent. As we were leaving Kafui, we were south of the park and coming the other, we'd been in the field about a week. So we were smelly and the taxi flies were biting us and we looked pretty ratty from having been camped for a week in the tropics. Coming the other way in a brand new Land Rover in a very nice pressed uniform was a hunter with his gun, right? And he stopped and said, had we seen any leopards? And we assured him we had not seen any leopards. In fact, we'd seen one about 10 minutes earlier at the side of the road. And we hoped and prayed that that leopard had got the hell out of there after we left. I mean, how could anybody shoot a magnificent animal like that just sitting at the side of the road on a blob? Well, another 20 minutes down the road, we came to a village and we stopped very briefly. It looked to me as if several of the children that we saw probably wouldn't survive the night. They were clearly very, very sick indeed, almost certainly from malaria. You know, how much does it cost to save a child? The answer is about a dollar because that's how much a mosquito net costs. And I'm still very emotional about that. It was a horrible experience, one I've seen many times before. But what that hunter was going to pay would have bought an awful lot of mosquito nets. It would have bought a clinic, would have bought a nurse who might come around every couple of weeks. And if the children were sick, she could give them antimalarials. Now, you might say, well, you know, does that money from that hunter go into that community? And that's not always an easy question to answer. But the simple reality is that hunters bring in an enormous amount of money and it protects an enormous amount of wildlife. Hunting protects more wildlife wildlife in Tanzania than photography, ecotourism. So one of the strong proponents of hunting in Tanzania is my opposite number at Oxford, Amy Dickman. I've known Amy Dickman for a very, very long time, and neither her nor I would ever harm a flea, but she fully understands that if it wasn't for hunting, an awful lot of wildlife in Tanzania would disappear because it would go to other uses. So there are people who will be incredibly angered myself by saying it's hunting is okay, but ecotourism doesn't totally take care of the problem. 
Well, how can we make people care? A lot of the conservation efforts are go towards those large bodied charismatic animals, you know, the yeah. bears, the pandas, but there's so many other species that are neglected. So how can we inform and get people involved? Well, I think there's two things to this. I've worked a huge amount on pandas in China. I've never seen a panda in the wild. I've cut the closest I've come is to finding what my Chinese students very charmingly call panda poops. And the panda poop is a very nice little packet of freshly chewed bamboo. It doesn't smell badly. It just smells like fresh bamboo. They don't get a lot of nutrition. So with my Chinese colleague, uh, Professor Bin Bin Li, we've looked at what good protecting pandas does in China? What does it benefit? Well, the answer is it, it protects about 70% of all of China's unique birds and mammals and amphibians. So it's what we call an umbrella species. So protect pandas and you'll protect a lot of other species that you probably haven't heard of. So that's one argument. The other argument, of course, is that we should celebrate biodiversity, the places where we work in saving nature in, in Colombia, in Ecuador, in Brazil, may not have charismatic species like the panda or the golden lion tamarind, but they do have an incredible variety of beautiful birds and mammals and amphibians and butterflies. And I think it behooves us to celebrate those species and to try to tell people what they are and where they are and how vulnerable they are and how we can save them. And you are involved in the reauthorization of the Endangered Species Act. What are its main provisions? Because you've been very active between both the public sphere and science. The Endangered Species Act, which started in, in 1975, plus or minus, is a remarkable piece of legislation. Once a species gets on the list, listed as we say, it's got a better than 99% chance of surviving. And when we look around, the bald eagles that I mentioned, which were on the verge of extinction, peregrine falcons, which were essentially extinct in the eastern United States, which are now uh, relatively common. They nest on buildings in New York and Raleigh. They nest on the cathedral in my hometown of Derby in the United Kingdom, we're quite capable of protecting species. And that act has done an extraordinary job of preventing species from going extinct. And I think we should, we should recognize that. A century ago, there was a whaling industry that went out and killed enormous numbers of whales. Today, there's a whaling industry that involves people going out with their cameras and photographing whales on both coasts. And, and the current whaling industry is worth an awful lot more than the old whaling industry. We celebrate nature in a lot of ways. It's very good for our local economies. And the Endangered Species Act has protected the species that many tourists love to go and see. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.